the most successful Christmas song recorded by different artists, everybody from the Pointer Sisters to um, Bing Crosby, um, starting, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. But is that a good thing? That's what I want to talk about this morning. Is it a good thing that it's starting to look a lot like Christmas? Now, you need to know, before I answer that question, I vet my talks with some good friends. There's John Lundy, Rick Langer, Doug Huffman. Uh, so they all vet, they, you know, they basically said, so you're going to give an anti-Christmas sermon. I said, yes. <laughs> because I'm the interim. So... <clears throat> <clears throat> Is it a good thing that it's starting to look a lot like Christmas? Well, it depends on how you define Christmas. Are we talking about the American consumeristic version of Christmas? Then the answer would be a no. If we're talking about as framed by the New Testament Christmas, then I think that that's a good thing. In my rhetoric class, I teach students about a concept. The concept is called synthetic reality, which means it's a reality that only exists in television. It's a reality that only exists in pop culture. It's a reality that only exists in social media. It's not real, but we all think that it's real. And Christmas can be really fertile grounds for synthetic reality of how everybody else is experiencing Christmas. So consider some of these images. Right? Right? Come on. We have a dog. We have a dog, Ginger, that we came home from. uh, Jason graduated, one of my kids from Biola, so I have a bunch of family in town. So we get back to celebrate graduation and some Christmas stuff, and Ginger has rolled in the mud and is covered with mud. Uh, That dog is drugged. And I think that's a robot child. I do not think that's a child. Are these your kids at Christmas? You know, Noreen has a friend who made the mistake one Christmas of saying to her father, after all the presents were opened, is that it? And the dad, good for him, put him in a car and drove them through all the low-income housing projects and just said, you think they're wondering, is this all there is for Christmas? I thought that was kind of interesting. But is that your Christmas morning? Um, And then then we're inundated with, you know, carolers singing and happiness and joy to the world kind of stuff. And then you get the cards. You get the cards from families just to show you how unbelievably happy they are at Christmas. So, (laughs) right? Right? Now, I, listen, I got this off Google Images, so if that family is here right now, I really apologize. But if, if I was in a car accident, I would live long enough to take that shirt off, right? I mean, but you know, happiness, adorable kids, right? That child is medicated. There's no way. My boys, would you ever take a young child and put that in their hands? No, not the Mulehoffs. But you get enough of these and you start to think, oh, my life 
what is my life? You go on Facebook and everybody's happy and everything's great and hot cocoa and Christmas carolers and uh, things like that. And you start, it starts to have an effect on you over time. So according to figures derived from a national survey, the average consumer plans to drop a cool $935.58 on gifts. Now, let me just say this. For some of you, you would dream of that world. This is not your reality. Your reality is, hey, financially, we are strapped at Christmas. Uh, the car doesn't work, and that's got to be the top priority because I have to get to work. Uh, we're wondering if we're going to be able to keep the heat on when it comes to this Christmas. So just know that that national average does not represent everybody, and there's people in this congregation right now that are saying, you know, it's going to be a very sparse Christmas. My grandfather went through the Great Depression and for four years made Christmas presents. He would go to Bloomfield Hills in Detroit and grab scrap pieces of lumber. They were still building houses. The affluent could do it. And he would literally carve Christmas presents because that's all they had for three years, three, four years. Now those presents are worth their weight in gold to us, the sentimentality of it. But there are times some of you will say, $935, are you dreaming? We don't have that. It's either pay the rent or get Christmas presents. And our pets... The American Pet Products Association estimates that $60.59 billion will be spent on pets in 2016, up about 25% from five years ago. So um, pets, animals benefit from the Christmas season. By the way, it's not just the United States that goes crazy on this day. Uh, Greece, that has a 26.6% unemployment rate, Yet they will spend 6% of their entire budget on one day, Christmas, buying gifts. Now, psychologists have been very interested, what is the effect of living in synthetic reality? Where everybody's happy, and everybody's giving gifts, and peace on earth, earth, and joy to the world. How do we actually internalize that and process the thought that everybody's going to do well on Christmas Day, and every family is great, and it's my loser family? That's not doing well. What effect does that have on us? Um, Well, psychologists have come up with something called seasonal affective disorder. Um, Well, which is is real. It's absolutely real. Um, Psychologists and psychologists will say that um, a significant increase in patients complaining about depression and suicidal thoughts. One North American survey reported that 45% of respondents dreaded the festive season. Because when we speak at family life marriage conferences, couples come in and they're having conflict. Of course, they're at a marriage conference. They're coming to get help. But they have this idea that they're the only couple at the entire conference that's having an argument at the conference. Right? But no, that's not true. So Christmas comes because of synthetic reality, and all of us think that everybody's doing great at Christmas. Everything's going well, filled with great traditions that everybody does. And the fact of that matter is it's not true just from a a psychological standpoint, but it's even bleeded into how we celebrate Christmas from a religious perspective. So you get Christmas cards that show an idyllic, Christmas um, birth of Christ, right? Animals and shepherds and beauty. Um, You get the drummer boy, right? And we'll probably even sing that song uh, before Christmas. Uh, We get sweet-looking shepherd boys and animals. 
Uh, and even Legoland gets involved, right? With Lego Jesus with no arms, no legs. Well, <laughs> that's going to make spreading the gospel a little bit more difficult. Um, and then that Joseph is creepy. I would say to Lego Mary, do not hand your child to that Joseph. That just looks a little creepy. But we tend to think that Christmas also is this time of great celebration. And I want to argue it is a time of great celebration, but a different kind of celebration. I think we've gotten skewed in the way that Americans approach Christmas, and we've gotten skewed the way American Christians approach Christmas. So let's step back and let's let the New Testament tell its own Christmas story of what it was all about that Jesus came to planet Earth. So let's consider some of these passages. In 1 John, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So before Jesus came, Satan was at work. What Satan does is he creates systems. Uh, Later, Paul is going to say that Satan interacts with all of us through one of three ways. One, your flesh. You know, we have temper problems. We have lust problems, greed problems. That's your flash. Second would be Satan himself seeks to disrupt individuals. But then there's also the world. And by what we mean by that is Satan loves to create systems by which we operate. So in a classic book called The Art of War, Sun Tzu writes that the best way to win a battle is to change the environment, is to own the environment. And if you have to create your own environment, that's fine. So what Satan has been doing ever since the first tempting of the garden is creating systems by which we walk in and are born into systems and we never question the system right? We tend to think, well, this is what it means to be successful. This is what it means to have a real job. This is what it means to be attractive. This is what it means to have this, 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 and this. And we don't ever really question it. We don't ever challenge the system that we're born into. Now, the technical word for that is ideology. The ideology are the beliefs of a culture. So, of course, attractiveness is thinness. Of course, successful means you have a certain bank account. And Satan loves for us to be born into the system. As Christians, we are to challenge the system. Um, And every once in a while, you have these moments where, where you just realize that the system can be different. One time, Noreen left. She went away, and she left me with the three Mealhoff boys, right? And made meals. And so we had all these prepared meals. So I remember us all sitting down. And there was the meal. And Noreen had made brownies for dessert. And then we were just sitting there. One of my boys said, hey, since it all winds up in the stomach anyway, couldn't we not have the brownies first? And my first knee-jerk response was, no. But then I thought to myself, Yes, it was a liberating moment by which we challenged the system. So part (laughs) Noreen has never left again. She's never gone on a trip again. So part of Christmas is going to be challenging the system, the system that Satan has created. Now, why is that part of Christmas? Because that is absolutely, from a biblical standpoint, the reason that Jesus came. Jesus did not come to establish a holiday. He came to pick a fight. So look what John also says. John says, the Son of God appeared for this purpose. 
to destroy the works of the devil. So part of being a a Christian at Christmas is, of course we're going to celebrate Christmas, but we have to understand what are unhealthy ways of celebrating Christmas that feed into seasonal depression, that feed into consumerism, that feed into this constant comparison with other people and other neighbors, and this constant wanting of more is what Satan has developed in human beings, right? We're never satisfied, and Satan always gives us this hint that there's something you desperately need that will make you happy, and he knows all the while that once you get it, you'll never be fully satisfied. So Jesus came to address the systems that Satan had created. He was going to invade planet Earth. Uh, Now, look at what Revelation says, Revelation 12. John gives us a fascinating view, biblically, uh, of what Uh, a nativity scene really should look like. Now, I know this is a debated passage for you Bible scholars in the audience, um, but it can be interpreted this way, and I think in some ways it makes sense for it to be interpreted this way. So this is what John says. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. So if you really want an accurate nativity scene based on John, yes, you have your nativity scene with the cows and the sheep and the manger and the angel, but right above the nativity ought to be this massive dragon right from the Game of Thrones ready to devour the child. And we know historically this happened, by the way. The slaughtering of the innocents is told in the Gospels, where uh, children were slaughtered roughly the age of Jesus as Satan tried to preempt uh, what Christ would eventually go into his ministry. So we know that that, um, Christmas is a time of great invasion by God into enemy-occupied territory, but it's the craziest invasion you've ever seen. It's the craziest one you've ever thought of. Because we know what good invasions look like, right? Uh, The most massive invasion that's ever been done in human history was Normandy. It was D-Day. In D-Day, we had um, 5,000 ships, 11,000 airplanes, and 150,000 American soldiers. Add to that Canadian soldiers, British soldiers. And they were invading Europe. Why? Because it was Hitler's stronghold. So these poor men going on beaches where Hitler knew we were coming. He didn't know exactly where we were coming. But he, he um, had prepared Normandy with machine guns that were going to slaughter these poor men. Estimates from Eisenhower were that uh, one out of, only one out of ten American soldiers would actually live on the Normandy beaches. They would actually make it. So this is an invasion of massive forces. We we think of shock and awe when we did the first um, war against Iraq, okay? Here is God's version of shock and awe when he does his invasion. But the angel said to the shepherds, do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of a great joy, which will be for all the people. Underline all the people. That will become a common theme in the ministry of Jesus. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. You can imagine uh, people saying, awesome, finally the Messiah is coming. Finally, we're going to get an invasion of God coming on planet Earth. And what will this look like? You know, many Jews rejected Jesus because they envisioned that when the Messiah came, that was the overthrowing of Rome, that Jesus would come as a military leader, much like Muhammad, right? But he doesn't do that. He comes in a very different way because here's what God's invasion looks like. 
This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. That's God's invasion. Uh, what are the ages of Mary and Joseph? Well, if we trust Legoland, no. Um, it, roughly, uh, Mary and Joseph would have been 14, 15, 16. Can you imagine that? When my kids were 14, 15, and 16, I would not have let them alone with our dog, Ginger. But God gives Jesus in the form of an infant to these teenagers. By the way, these teenagers had to protect Jesus. Right? They learn of plots to take Jesus' life. The angel tells them about that. And these teenagers run for their life taking Jesus. Uh, Jesus gets lost in the crowd a couple times. It is the craziest invasion you've ever seen. It's Jesus as an infant. But he's on enemy-occupied territory, and he is going to lead this rebellion. And he's going to do it with us. That's the most remarkable thing about it. Uh, you know, I think of this cosmic battle. I'm actually writing a book right now on spiritual battle and marriage. But imagine this conflict of um, Satan's armies looking like what you'd get out of the Lord of the Rings, right? All these orcs and stuff like that. And then God says, you want to fight? Fine, let's have a fight right now. And he calls his smallest battle formation. It's the Mulehoffs. It's like, Mulehoffs, come on. Come up here. And we just kind of walk up there, and there is Satan and all of his massive armies, and there's the Mulehoffs. And you're like, this is craziness. This is insane. And I don't even have all the Mulehoffs with me, because when Satan wants to get the Mulehoff family, he hides shoes. That's what he does. When I was at a different church teaching Sunday school, I could never be late, but we were always going to be late. Always. Always going to be late to church. Always, because the kids weren't ready. I was in the van, desperately wanting to lay on the horn, and I'm yelling out the window. I'm yelling, get in the van, because I'm going to be late. I can't be late, because I'm going to teach. Get in the van. One of my kids, I can only find like one shoe. Get another shoe, a sandal and a boot. I don't care. Get in the van. And there's our neighbor, our next door neighbor. Hey, Pete, hi. We're, uh, we're going to church. Not working. I'm actually teaching. <laughs> so Jesus is going to have a rebellion, an invasion, and he's going to use us to do it. But it's, a, it's an interesting invasion. We're told to do two things with Jesus. We're told to cast out the world, and we're told to lift him up. And that's what I want to talk about. What would that look like at Christmas? So this is what Jesus says. Now judgment is upon the world. Jesus is not pleased with how the world is running things. Jesus sees 24-7 what is happening on planet Earth. Now we get, we get updates about what's happening to Syrian refugees. Jesus sees it 24-7. He's, he knows what's happening in the, in the sex trading industry. He knows that the wealth is used as a weapon in the world today. Uh, we have more than enough food to feed everybody. But uh, food is used as political weapons in the world today. And Jesus is going to rebel against it. And Christmas is we honor his rebellion against the system. So the very first thing we do, so it says, now judgment is upon the world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out, Jesus said. I'm kicking Satan and his system out of this world. 
And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. So let me advocate today that Christmas, biblically, is two things. Casting out Satan and his systems, and it is lifting up Christ. So the first thing we need to do is recognize that this is enemy terrain. That materialism, consumerism, will not make you happy. It'll make you miserable. Being in this economic rat race when it comes to uh, Christmas just isn't going to work. And we all need to step back from the brink just a little. And again, I want to be very sensitive to some people in the audience who are thinking, hey, we don't go overboard on Christmas because, quite frankly, we don't have any money. Okay? So I'm not talking to that group. But for many of us, oh my word, Christmas is this Mardi Gras the entire year. Best thing God's ever given to a fallen world, Amazon Prime. I love Amazon Prime. I read it, boom, Yiddish sheep herders, boom, history of Yiddish sheep herders. You just got to know a little bit about them, really, to be. (laughs) So the very first thing we do is we're casting off the world system. We are no longer judging ourselves on how Americans do Christmas. Right? The very first thing, if we're going to be effective rebels with Jesus, is we need to be content with who we are. So I want to advocate this Christmas, I want us to do this. Leading up to Christmas, I can't believe it's next weekend. I just can't believe that that's true. But sometime between now and then, we need to have a moment as families, as individuals, where we sit down and we say, God delights in me. I don't need to be a picture-perfect Christmas postcard. And my family is in process, and we are struggling, but God is pleased with me. Remember that sermon I gave on Psalm 103 where David said, let me count the blessings of the Lord, and he starts with the fact that all your iniquities have been forgiven, the fact that you're going to be risen from the pit, you'll be raised from the dead to be with God for all of eternity. He's crowned you with righteousness, uh, with compassion, right? So the very first thing we do before Christmas ever gets here is we sit before God and we say, God, I'm good. I'm good. I don't need anything this Christmas. I have your love. I have your goodness. I have your spiritual blessings. It's kind of like the book of Job, where Satan comes up to God and says, I'll make a bet with you right now. You strip Job of everything, and he will hit you. He'll turn on you. And God says, done. I'll take that bet. And Satan is permitted to strip everything of Job. And Job is sitting there with diseases wrapped on his body, and he says, I do not judge the love of God on my health, my material goods, or my family. And that, I think, is the Christmas moment we all need to have just once before all the madness of the gifts start to happen. Is we sit before God and we say, I'm good. I don't need anything because I have the love of God. I have the peace of God. I have the forgiveness of God. I'm treated like a daughter. I'm treated like a son. And if we have that moment, then it doesn't matter what the neighbor's house looks like. It doesn't matter what other people get at Christmas. Because you need to know that Christmas is a brutal time for a lot of people. For economically distressed families, Christmas is torture. Right? Because uh, after Christmas break, what happens? Every kid goes to every school and they've got the newest, coolest, hippest, latest thing. And my child didn't get any of that. And what do I say to my child when they come back and say, 
you know, Tommy got this, Karen got this, and, you know, what do we get? So there comes a moment, I think, where we simply say, I'm not going to judge myself on a hallmark version of Christmas. I'm not going to judge my self-worth on what I got for Christmas or was able to give for Christmas. And that is a liberating moment. Not, not that we don't celebrate Christmas with gifts and things, but it, we're not judging our self-image on any of that. So we're casting out Satan's system. We're saying, I am fully content and do not judge God's love for me based on what I'm able to do economically with my family come Christmas time. Okay? Second, we lift up Jesus. But what does it mean to lift up Jesus? I think if we let the New Testament speak for itself, if you were to do a thematic analysis of the life of Jesus, roughly three and a half years of public ministry, what did he do? Interesting, 25% of everything Jesus talked about had to do with the devil, had to do with Satan's territory, his systems, and healing people. Second, By and large, the majority of Jesus' time was with the poor. By and large, it was with the disenfranchised. It was with the people who did not have what other people had. That's where Jesus spent his time. So if we are to be little Christ, if we are to be Christians at Christmas, then our inclination will always have to be towards what Jesus' inclination was. And that was to ask the question, not how the Mulehoffs are doing at Christmas. But to say, how are other people doing at Christmas? So last night, uh, we have a bunch of family in town because Jason graduated. It was cold. It was cold last night. Now, it wasn't Michigan cold. You you guys are a little bit of wimps, okay? I will grant you it was cold. But it was not Michigan cold, but I was cold, okay? And, And I had this flashback last night to something Dr. Langer and I did. I taught a class with Rick Langer. We had this crazy idea. Wouldn't it be interesting for Biola students to know what it's like to spend a night out in the elements uh, like the homeless do? So students got together that night. We went dumpster diving to see what kind of food we could find. And then we found cardboard because we were going to sleep outside under the elements. Now, we alerted campus security ahead of time and told them, you treat us just like you would any other homeless which, you know, Biola is a private campus. It's not going to allow homeless people just to lay on the lawns. So we went. It was cold. I was shivering. There's Dr. Langer right next to me. I wanted to spoon Dr. Langer. (laughs) I didn't know what the Biola manual was, so I didn't. I was cold. And, And just when you started to go to sleep, campus security, flashlights. Hey, sorry, you can't be here. Move on. You, you, I'm sorry, you just can't be here. So we got up and, and got moved and moved and moved and moved. It was cold. So last night I had this thought, what would it be like to be homeless and to be living outside and to be cold? See, that, that was Jesus' first inclination, was to think about, I wonder how the poor are doing. I wonder those who don't have anything, I wonder how they are doing. And that was his ministry, by and large, was going around proclaiming the gospel, but living out the gospel. So what does it mean to lift Jesus up? It means at Christmas, with all of our affluence, remember a couple weeks ago I said, if you don't think we're rich, go to globalrichlist.com and type in your salary. And it will compare you worldwide, and you will be, I guarantee you, you'll be in the top 10%, 5%. We were in the top 
uh, I want to say 1%, the Mulehoffs, who would never consider ourselves to be wealthy. And yet globally, we're wealthy. So when Jesus talks to the rich young ruler, he's talking to the Mulehoffs. He's talking to many of us in this room. So what can we do to lift up Jesus practically? Let me make some suggestions. Number one, we need to purge. Okay, before we get one new present, one new set of clothes, we need to purge what we already have. So this morning, I get up. I'm not a slave to fashion. I mean, everything I wear literally comes from Kohl's, right? Because they have these great sales, okay? So... I'm going through my closet, and I can't tell you how much my closet are just stuff I, I, I'm, I don't wear anymore. Right? And I'm looking at it going, somebody told me that looked good on me. Who was that person? You know, and just kind of, and some stuff doesn't fit anymore because I've lost so much weight. Thank you for judging me. Um, <clears throat> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I don't even know that person to my left. Um, <clears throat> so the very first thing we do before we buy one new thing is I think we purge. I, I think we go through our closets. We go through our attics. And we say, you know what? I don't need this. I don't wear this. So let's do that. Wouldn't it be great if every Christmas the surrounding community knew when Christmas comes, it's Christmas for all of our organizations because EV Free purges every single year. Uh, There are some great ways that we can do this. And when you purge, let me make one other suggestion. As you're giving away all the stuff you don't want anymore, include one thing you do like. One thing you wear and thought, this is great, but I have so much. I'm going to include this as well. Now, we have some really practical suggestions just in a second of what we can actually do this week to really minister to people right here in Orange County and across the world. Second thing we need to do is cut back. I think we can do that. Uh, Maybe you bought a ton of Christmas presents. Maybe it's just too much. Maybe the message we're giving to our kids is not the message we should be giving to our kids. Christmas isn't about a tree absolutely stacked with presents. And then you know what happens is grandpa and grandma step in. And other people step in. And pretty soon these kids have so much. It's just probably too much. So I'm not saying no presents. Um, buy, my goodness, buy Mulehoff books. They're awesome. And at Amazon, <laughs> which you can get through Prime. Today, you could have a Mulehoff book. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Okay. <clears throat> So maybe we just cut back. Maybe we say it isn't good to flood our kids with these presents. It's sending the wrong message about what Christmas really is. And is this lifting up Christ? Maybe you bought some presents and already you're thinking, we're overdoing it. We are. So you know what? Those presents can go back. We can take them back already. We need to think what messages in a world of poverty that we're sending to our kids. And again, I'm not saying don't give presents. But do we need to give all those presents? By the way, statistics show that for the average American, it will take you four years to pay off this Christmas with interest. Now, you might be thinking, well, what about last Christmas? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's still there. So that's why many Americans are just in debt and in credit card debt that they just can't get out of. So maybe it's good to cut back just a little bit. Then give away your time, your money, and your grace. 
show compassion toward the weak, the marginalized, and the needy. So I teach a gender class. Uh, in this gender class, we uh, Skyped in a woman who's 26. She got a um, communications degree from Vanderbilt, and she helps run a shelter for domestic violence. And she said to my class, Christmas is the worst time for a, a domestic violence shelter. It's the worst. Because some of these families just left because uh, they had to for safety reasons, and they just took the clothes on their back. And this Christmas, there are no new clothes. There are no Christmas presents at the shelter. She said, it's really hard on the kids. And then she left. We asked questions, and she stopped. Well, I just turned to my class saying, I mean, my goodness, guys, what, 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 what should we do about this? We just can't listen to this information and not do anything. So we decided as a class that when finals were taken, bring a cash gift. And if you don't have any money, that's fine. Pray for these people. But if you have money, if you want to give up Starbucks for a week or two or three, then bring in some money. And we did. We raised about $310. And I got a chance to uh, correspond with a woman from a domestic violence shelter here and said, hey, uh, we're sending you a check for $310. Please use it for Christmas presents. And she said, I cannot tell you how much that's going to bless some families come this Christmas. So maybe we can think that way and take our kids and volunteer and say, hey, what can we do for individuals? Now, because this church is this church, we have some great opportunities you can do right now. So here are two opportunities. Number one, we have Love Mongolia. Out, right out there in the parking lot, we have a massive bin that you can fill, and we're going to send all of these clothes to people in Mongolia who are uh, uh, churches that are dealing with the poor, and we can send all of these clothes over there. And I'm just going to tell you right now, uh, the Mulehouse are going to participate in this, because this morning was kind of convicting, looking at all my hair products. So, um, also... Once we fill that bin, just know that we have a standing relationship with the Good Samaritan Center. And they have said to me, there was a representative, uh, first service, said, listen, we are in desperate need of men's coats and blankets heading into this Christmas season. So you can go to the front desk uh, of our church and you can drop off blankets and men's coats and other things. And we'll make sure that they get to the Good Samaritan Center. So let's lift up, let's cast off commercial American Christmas. Let's say no to it. And let's say yes to lifting up Jesus. But understand, the mission of Jesus wasn't to establish a holiday. It was to overthrow the works of Satan. So this Christmas, let's cast off the bad parts of American consumerism and let's lift up Jesus. But if you lift up Jesus, that means you want him to be seen. And if you want Jesus to be seen, then we do what Jesus did. And what Jesus did was he worked with the disenfranchised. He worked with the poor. So let me pray for us this Christmas that um, it would be a different Christmas for all of us. That we wouldn't think initially of our own family. We, our first thought would be, I wonder about the other families. I wonder about the homeless I see regularly. I wonder about poor families in Mongolia who don't have clothes and would be absolutely thrilled to receive the clothes when I clean out and purge my closet. So let me pray for us. Father, thank you for being liberated from consumerism. Thank you that as children of God, we have been set free, that we do not judge ourselves 
on our Christmas photos. We don't judge ourselves by lights on a house. We don't judge ourselves by what we can give our kids. We've been liberated from that. Father, we are children of God, deeply forgiven, deeply loved, crowned with compassion. Father, you came here to overthrow the works of the devil. And Father, when you saw the hungry, you fed them. When you saw the sick, you ministered to them. Father, I pray for this Christmas as we think of thoughtful gifts to give each other and to celebrate Christmas. Our first thought would be for those who don't have what we have. Father, let us think of the people that will spend a cold night in Orange County. Let us think of families of kids and scared mothers at a domestic violence shelter. Uh, When Christmas comes to Orange County, I pray that our reputation would be, uh, this is the church that gives back. This is the church that looks for opportunities to lift up Christ by ministering to the people that Jesus died for. We pray in your name, particularly at this season, that people would see you in our Christmas celebrations. Amen.